0: Film spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button.
2: The Past, available on demand now, tells the story of a wife trying to get a divorce from her Iranian husband in order to begin a new relationship. In Stage Fright, a masked killer terrorizes campers at a musical theater camp. It premieres on demand on April 3rd.
0: The latest independent films are ready when you are, with Movies on Demand on Cable. The Art House is now in your house.
2: From New York City, this is Film Spotting streaming video unit. I'm Matt Singer.
0: And I'm Allison Wilmore. And on the new episode of SVU, I chase Matt around his apartment, and then he stabs me in the neck with a shot of insulin. Just the usual process. You had it coming. (laughs) As we review David Fincher's Panic Room.
2: Later in the show, we'll bring you Q Shots, where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered around a common theme. And inspired by Panic Room, Allison and I were going to do a show about uh, Kristen Stewart, who co-stars in Panic Room. And by about Kristen Stewart, I mean the Twilight franchise. And by do a show, I mean I was going to read my Twilight fan fiction series called In the Gloaming, which is about an incredibly charismatic and absurdly handsome film critic named Matt Stryker, who moves to the Pacific Northwest and comes between Bella and Edward. It's a powerful story, Allison, all 16 volumes of it. Uh, But then I realized, you know, if I read my world changing saga on the podcast i'm literally giving away tens of millions of dollars in sales and royalties so i'm going to keep that you know we'll give a link Twice. at the end of the show if people want to you know like download it for their kindle or whatever we'll <laughs> we'll give out the link at the end of the show but in the meantime we're going to recommend some claustrophobic movies you can rent or stream at home right now but first up is opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand. Allison, what hour are our picks this week?
0: Well, my first pick is Mistaken for Strangers, which is available on demand on March 28th. It is a film about the band The National. But it's not a concert doc or just one of those documentaries that's for fans, pre-established fans of the band. It's directed by Tom Berninger, who is the brother of Matt Berninger, who is the lead singer of the band. Uh, The band actually happens to be made up of two other pairs of brothers. There's uh, one one pair on guitar and keyboard and one pair on bass and drums. Uh, And Matt Berninger is this kind of tall brooding indie rock prince type uh, who is married and lives in Brooklyn Uh, whereas his brother Tom is this vaguely Jack Black-esque aspiring filmmaker who loves metal and still lives at home with their mother in the Midwest. (laughs) Weird. Yes and there's actually they're not that close as siblings there's a nine year difference between them that Tom the director is the younger brother and the film is about how Matt invites Tom along to both serve as a roadie on an international tour so they can spend some time together and Tom uh, wants to shoot a documentary while he's there and it quickly becomes apparent that Tom is just uh, inept at both being a roadie and at being a documentary filmmaker Uh, the film starts off with him attempting to and basically failing to interview his brother in the park like he just does not know how to do an interview um, and asks questions not bad questions actually of the band of things like do you do you carry your wallets with you when you're on stage what do you valid question totally really. fair question totally i'd fair. like to know that actually. Rock's our question yeah exactly and where does your wallet go if you're not Is it not right, in your you can't pocket? Just leave it somewhere I take it. exactly
2: but it could, it could <laughs> w- throw you off if you're when you're jamming
0: seriously you don't want your wallet your just weight distribution out would
2: just be all off so
0: pressing question that he asks
2: how
1: famous do you think you are Uh, You are way more famous than any of my friends That's, okay Have you ever heard of The National? They're from here I'm his brother and I'm supposed to go on their tour bus This is one of the most talked about bands on the planet I
2: think I'm going to get together with them I'm going to be making this rock doc
1: I do
0: have a brother, but he's more of a metalhead I think he thinks indie rock's pretentious bullshit
1: Two weeks ago, Matt called He asked if I wanted to go on tour and be a roadie I had no idea he'd
0: never
2: been to Europe. Welcome to Paris. Ooh, this doesn't even look like my arm. It looks like another person in the room when I do this. Who is that?
0: It's a really funny, kind of sad movie sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a few moments where it feels a little stagey, but it is, for the most part, this kind of uh, impressively interesting film about siblings and about how you can kind of have this very close tie to someone that you have very little in common with. And also about, you know, this like two brothers where one brother is the uh, the confident brother, the successful brother, in this case, a rock star brother, and the other one is still trying to sort out his life. So it's uh, really, it was like a very pleasant surprise. This film opened the Tribeca Film Festival uh, a few years ago, and it was surprisingly offbeat and and it was one that really charmed me. Uh, so that's Mistaken for Strangers. It is available on demand on March 28th. Um, my other two picks I have not seen yet, but I've heard a lot about, and they're both kind of interesting twists on established genres. The first one is Afflicted, which is available on demand on April 4th. This is a Canadian found footage film, and you know that you have to do a lot if you're getting acclaim in that genre these days. Uh, in the
2: Canadian found footage genre? Yeah, exactly. Uh, or in the found footage. I think genre. I've seen it before, eh? <laughs>
0: But uh, oh, you, know... you mean
2: more gen- like general fan footage? General, okay, yes. Sorry, uh,
0: it's a, a genre that's gotten a little abused lately, mm. um, gotten a little you know overused. But mm-hmm. this is a film written and directed by Derek Lee and Cliff Prowse, who also star in the film. And it's about how they are traveling the world together, and then one of them, and they're documenting their trip. Like I think online, it's supposed to be, and one of them has a kind of weird encounter with a woman that he meets. And starts showing signs of an an affliction. Oh, hence the title. Uh, but what really interests me about this, beyond just having heard that it's a it's a kind of nice, interesting indie found footage film, is that people have been describing it as a kind of horror twist on Chronicle. Which uh, you know, Chronicle is a film that we both liked a lot, mm-hmm. and I, I think the idea that that is uh, is an interesting one to me. So that's Afflicted. It's available on April fourth. Also available on April 4th is Goodbye World, which is directed and co written by Dennis Hennely. It stars Adrian Grenier and Carrie Bichet as uh, a couple, a married couple of neo hippies who are kind of living off the grid. I saw
2: the trailer. Yeah, for this. with their
0: daughter. And there's a cyber attack that takes down a lot of technology, a lot of civilization, basically. Uh, and when it happens, a group of their old college friends all come to. Stay with them to kind of retreat and uh, to the safety of their off the grid house, their kind of idyllic, you know, neo hippie living. Uh, and so it's half like them fearing what's happening to the world, and then the half also them kind of hanging out together for the first time in a long time. And among those, uh Car- Gabby Hoffman, who's been uh, really on a hot streak lately with a lot of the TV work she's been doing, Mark Weber, Benjamin McKenzie. Um, Caroline Devernes. So it's an interesting group of actors. And I've heard it described as the big chill meets the end of the world, which is an interesting enough like, pre- premise unto itself that uh, I- I'm intrigued, certainly. So that's Goodbye World, and it is available on demand on April 4th.
2: our subject for Q shots on this episode of Film Spudding SBU is claustrophobia movies claustrophobia movies and you know I think actually I do want to say one thing very quickly right off the bat which is there's a you know a, a, another kind of subgenre that I think probably overlaps greatly with this subgenre if it is a subgenre and that are that's prison movies Movies that take place uh, in prison, which yeah. we've actually covered on a different episode of the show. So we're not going to have any of those as our recommendations. At that time, our re- streaming recommendations were Hunger, Brute Force, Bronson, and Escape from Alcatraz. Uh, and to varying degrees, I think you could probably make the case that all of those are claustrophobic movies. You're trapped in prison. It's a right. small, confined space. They lend themselves to you know that atmosphere. So if you're looking for more sort of on this topic, that's episode... 40 of Film Spotting SVU. You can find that at FilmSpottingSVU.com or it should still be on iTunes. But uh, so we're going to talk about non prison related. <laughs> claustrophobia movies. Allison, do you have anything you want to say in a general sense?
0: Yeah, I actually one interesting thing that I found when I started looking into some of the films in this category was that there is some overlap with our topic last time, which is movies yes. with characters with no names. Because yes. one of the classic types of this movie is where a group of strangers yes. is introduced and put in a kind of claustrophobic space and, you know, have to sort out something, some problem or, you know, and uh, from things like 12 Angry Men. Which, I know. Yeah. yeah. When
2: well, when I was when we decided <laughs> on this I was like, all right, so what movies would be good? Oh, 12 Angry Men and there's like Duh. and then, then I realized last episode, well, yeah. I recommended recommend it. So. Or Q- Get ready to hear yeah. it again, guys. <laughs> I don't know that many movies. Yeah.
0: Or ferma 's Room, The Killing Room. There's like a few kind of <laughs> Vermont's
2: room. I've seen that yeah. one too. Yeah,
0: and uh, the killing room was just at Sundance a few years ago. That one I don't it was know. Just another one of like people
2: brought into the room, people trapped and, in a room. Yeah, exactly. And then to- well, I mean, it's a classic Sundance Tribeca. Any independent. I mean, it's a classic hey, trope because it's cheap. You have limited resources, sure, right?
0: And then you one room,
2: have, couple actors,
0: right? A, a high concept, you right. Know, right?
2: Of sorts. You don't need you a lot of props, time. locations, budget. Yeah, right. They, all those things sort themselves out,
0: right? And then you have you know another type of. What's become a like a kind of, I don't know, growing or at least consistent subgenre here? The like very high concept person trapped in, or or group of people trapped in, like a not a
2: couple of people, just one person. One.
0: I mean, I you know you have a uh, buried buried.
2: Phone booth. phone booth
0: freezer the recent freezer
2: that was think, a guy trapped in a freezer yeah
0: i think it was dermot mulroney trapped in a freezer not dylan mcdermott no i think it was dermot mulroney okay. but i'm not i won't swear by that <laughs> one of the two of them <laughs> is trapped in a freezer it might have been dylan mcdermott it it might
2: i'll D- look it dermot up dermot keep, keep going i'll dermot take a look <laughs> D- dermot mcdermott
0: yeah. um wrecked adrian brody trapped in a car
2: you know this is a. I don't know that one either. Oh, oh, I one. do remember it. Yes, I yeah, never saw it. You
0: know, and I'm sure there are more in this category. Okay, who I looked it? up
2: Freezer. Now, all right, let's, let's read, go. Read your it. life is on the line here, Allison. Uh-oh. For the gun to your head for a million dollars that I'm not going to pay you, who was it? Was it Dermot Mulroney or Dylan McDermott? Dylan McDermott. Yes, you are yeah. correct. <laughs> God, <laughs> I survived Dylan,
0: to live another day. Dylan McDermott day. was
2: in freezer. Can you read the description? Yes. This plot synopsis just says Robert is an ordinary man who faces, who is faced with extraordinary circumstances. He is locked in a meat freezer.
1: <laughs> oh wait, Three? there's more. There's more. Oh, okay. Uh,
2: by Russian thugs. There we go. <laughs> who believe that he owes them eight million dollars. Robert, who is in every frame of the film, soon discovers that he is not alone in the freezer. <laughs> Sam, a stranger, is also locked in with him, and it becomes a struggle to survive the cold and the forces that are against them. So it's like Saw, Saw meets Barry, Saw, which another is, an, Saw is another one, actually, right. I thought about recommending. Because I actually liked the first Saw. Yeah. At a certain point, I think they became just, a bit much. Yes. And, and certainly less claustrophobic because they were, they were just getting more expansive and bizarre, and the mythology became incredibly dense. But that original movie is really two guys locked in a room, and it—, it it is an interesting, scary film. Yeah. yeah so the first agreed. thought definitely would qualify. Um, so,
0: and then also, you know, there are uh, some war films or um, Dust Boot. you know. Das
2: Boot would be a, a classic, classic one. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: which is available on Netflix and Crackle. Yes. Or uh, it's not available on streaming, unfortunately, or otherwise I'd recommend it. But uh, Lebanon, the uh, 2009 Israeli war film, takes place entirely in a tank and is really a great film. It's very mm-hmm. strong. And... uh
2: Certainly lends itself to intense either thrillers or horror movies. I mean, I'm not particularly claustrophobic. So it's. I think actually that almost enhances these movies because if you're not scary, you can kind of enjoy them. Like I imagine if someone was actually claustrophobic, they would not be able to sit through a yeah. movie like Buried. Or well,
0: I have, I'll have a touch of it every once in a while. Um, and the film that really brought it for me that that made me usually I just don't put myself in that situation on screen, but The Descent, mm. in the early scenes of that, you know, which is, it's a film about a group of women who go caving, basically, yes. and then encounter creatures, but the early scenes of it, in which they are basically just climbing through these very narrow spaces, like, that was enough to really get me a little...
2: Yeah, and I think that one's available on Hulu Plus, if you've never seen The Descent, so yeah. it's a good and one. It's a
0: very good movie. Yeah,
2: and another one, just one more to throw out there, The Human Centipede. It's on Netflix and Amazon.
0: Uh, yeah, that is claustrophobic as well. Well,
2: phys- I mean, like, it all takes place mostly at this one, like, house or this laboratory where this guy's doing these horrible things. But then also there's, like, a claustrophobia of proximity to people, right, too. Right, you
0: literally cannot get away. You can't get away from
2: people, <laughs> which I'm almost more afraid of than, you know, than—and uh, I don't talk. I'm talking about the specific, you know, anatomical elements, just the idea of being— like stuck next to a person and not being able to get away from them. There's something about that I find more unsettling than a small confined space. Maybe that's just me. I don't know, but that's another good one. So there's a lot of them. We haven't even gotten to our picks yet, but let's do that now. Do you want to go first? Sure. So my first pick is of that type of film of the group of, of the people who are so but to mouth.
0: Yes, exactly. That that, you know, fantastic subgenre. There's a um, lot of them out
2: there. So many out there. People sewn together. Um the people, no. <laughs> there's the People Ant. Uh there's the societal uh, uh Just keep worm. This going. Yeah, the societal please. worm is a good one. I also like the societal worm 2 full sequence. That's nice. a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no,
0: this is of that where the group of strangers is together in a room oh, and there's okay, a, gotcha. some kind of problem for them to deal with. And this is a film called Exam, which is currently streaming on Netflix. It's a 2009 British film directed by Stuart Hazeldean, who co-wrote the screenplay with Simon Garrity. And it's set in this kind of alternate present, or it's it, it, it says soon, I think is what they call it, but um, in which the world is dealing with this pandemic. And one company has managed to come up with supplements that keep it at bay. And this information emerges as we meet eight candidates who are applying for a job that turns out to be at that corporation and who are at the end of this unspecified but clearly very difficult application process. Um, And the position is left vague, but it's apparently very desirable. So then you have this cross-section of eight applicants who are brought into the room where the film mostly takes place.
1: Through these trials, you've gained some idea of the power of this organization. So believe me when I tell you, that there is no law in this room, but our law. And the only rules in here are our rules. There is one question before you, and one answer is required. If you try to communicate with myself or the guard, you will be disqualified. If you spoil your paper, intentionally or accidentally, you will be disqualified. If you choose to leave this room for any reason, you will be disqualified. Any questions? Best of luck, ladies and gentlemen.
0: And they give each other nicknames, just like one of them gives them all nicknames based on like their appearance and race. So they get labeled black, brown, white, blonde, brunette, dark and deaf for the one character who doesn't seem to play along. And they're all given a piece of paper and told that there's one question and they need to answer it. And they soon dis- they quickly discover all of the pieces of paper are apparently blank.
2: Dun, dun, dun. Yes.
0: And then it kind of builds from there, obviously.
2: Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think, you know, I, I didn't think that this is the greatest film dun, in this dun, genre, dun. but I think it actually does what this requires really well, which is to have the build from there's a sense of normalcy to the inevitable escalation of things right. that happens in these. I think it does that very well. And the idea of it in a corporate sense of this being a job interview is, is a pretty interesting twist, I think, because it deals with a lot of ideas about um, when you don't really know what's expected of you, you know, in this application process, the lengths that people start to go to, to prove things that haven't necessarily been asked of them yet. You know, like, this ideas about ruthlessness, or these ideas about dedication, uh, that all come out as they go along that like, they think, because this question is left so open, and they're being observed, you know, they think, prove that they might be a good candidate for a job that they don't really understand. So it, it, it's, you know, very clever. I don't think it quite sticks the landing, but I, I think it's a very good. As someone who
2: just got a new job, you related to this scenario very strongly. Yeah,
0: exactly. Mm. It was exactly like. The
2: grueling. Is this how you got the new exactly, gig? Yeah, you absolutely. Had to probably. There, I do not There may have the been movie, some violence
0: so. and um, some dystopic... <laughs> They put a sheet
2: of paper in front of you with no questions exactly. and told you to answer and it.
0: And I'm like, I'm, I'm ready for this. <laughs> um but I, I think it like it. It's very kind of nicely efficient for what it does, and uh, apparently this has been made into a play as well, which maybe tells you about that mm. it it ha- it manages that transition well, um, which uh, is something admirable unto itself. So that's Exam, and it is currently streaming on Netflix.
2: All right, my my first pick, kind of similar in terms of structure, the people stuck in one room. It's from 2010, and it's called Devil. It's streaming now on Netflix. It's directed by John Eric Dowdle, and uh, There is, uh, you know, you said of this subgenre of people stuck in a room altogether. Maybe the, like, I don't think it's the first example, but one of the most classic examples is that famous Twilight Zone episode, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, where it's just five random people. They wake up in this kind of ill defined room. They don't know how they got there. They don't know how they, you know, they don't have any memory of who they are. They can't figure out how to get out. And the whole episode is, like, their reaction to this very disturbing situation. And, of course, it's the Twilight Zone, so there's a big twist at the end. Uh, And if you've never seen it, that actually – that episode is on Netflix. That's season three, episode 14 of the original Twilight Zone. So if you've never seen that one, it's a classic one which you can check out. Devil is kind of like a shadow remake of that episode if that episode had been written by, like, Agatha Christie and William Peter Blatty, if they had been, like, (laughs) decided to, like, team up. So it's, like, five seemingly random people walk into an office tower elevator, and the elevator gets stuck – And they're, like, trying to figure out a way out. But then what happens, of course, that old chestnut? The lights go out. And when the lights come back on, Allison, one of them has been brutally murdered. But wait! There's a twist. Oh, by the way, the killer may not just be the killer. He may be the devil! Dun-dun-dun! There's a lot of dun-dun-duns on this episode inspected and certified august 12th by g carson hey what do you say we go visit g carson when we're out of here tell him what we think of his inspecting prowess uh people we're gonna flip off the lights for
1: one sec just to see if there's a short well, wait you're, here.
2: you're, you're gonna come to off the power cool. does that mean we could drop you'll be fine i just didn't want you to pass. what's oh, happening
1: nothing nothing just just relax hey, come on me get off me sorry
2: so if the fact that uh I've already described I think two or maybe three twists and I haven't even gotten to like the rest of the twist there's maybe three or five or a hundred more if that didn't give it away this movie was co-produced and co-written by M. Night Shyamalan and as is often the case in his career lately I think his obsession with cleverness and 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 surprising people is really his own worst enemy the movie is good And I think it would be better without the devil concede. If it was just five people trapped in an elevator and every time the lights go out, someone dies, I think that's interesting enough. Uh, But this addition that it's all about, like, literally Satan is on the elevator or some kind of demon is on the elevator and there's supernatural occurrences happening all around it. It just adds some very silly moments. There's also at the end – I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a sort of, like – signs-esque, everything is connected kind of thing that happens, which is also just smack your head kind of silly. But beneath all the silliness is this very solid 80-minute B thriller. You know, that the atmosphere on that elevator. Again, I'm not that claustrophobic, but that atmosphere on that elevator is fantastic. It's cramped. It's creepy. And every time the lights go out in the elevator, like, the whole screen goes black. And that's a fantastic trick. You know, it's an old one, but I love that thing where you're sitting in the dark... And, you know, so if you're watching this at home, definitely turn off all the lights, get that experience. And then, you know, because you hear the people screaming and there's, you know, all that is just a lot of fun. So I guess a little bit of credit has to go not just to M. Night Shyamalan, but to this guy, John Eric Dowdle, who directed this movie. The other thing he's directed that I guess he's sort of known for is he directed the American version of another excellent claustrophobic thriller, which is Wreck. Quarantine was the one he made, but Wreck is a fabulous
0: yeah.
2: horror movie, a found footage horror movie, not Canadian but Spanish, and very claustrophobic. All takes place in this like one apartment building, and that's really scary. I think totally we've about it Totally scary. I think we before, have too.
0: But yeah, it's so frightening. <laughs> right.
2: So uh, credit to him for directing this movie. I think very effectively in terms of all the suspense, the atmosphere, and there's a good performance too from Chris Messina who's an actor I like. He plays a cop. He's outside. He's sort of like watching all of this unfold on a security camera, trying to figure out who the killer is from the outside while it's happening. So not a perfect movie. I don't love all the devil stuff, even though it's called Devil. That's a little problem. But a solid one of these claustrophobic thrillers. That's Devil, streaming now on Netflix.
0: All right, my next pick is of another, you know, we mentioned prison movies as this whole kind of obvious claustrophobic side genre. Mine is... uh... From another, you know, subgenre of this, which would be the airplane movie. Ah, yes, because you know? it's That's another right. one
2: where you can't get out. You can't you're Can't get
0: out. You're on this enclosed space, and you're traveling. You know, you can't stop it, and right. unless you're willing to, you know, take a head unless you're the pilot. I guess. Yeah, yeah, or you're the pilot. Yeah. So my pick is Red Eye, which is available to rent on YouTube, iTunes, Amazon, and Redbox. 2005 film directed by Wes Craven and written by Carl Ellsworth. And I think it is really, I think it's kind of an underrated film. I know it was fairly well received when it came out, but I, I this is a film I really like. And the bulk of it takes place on a red-eye flight um, to Miami, which is where Rachel McAdams' character, Lisa Reisert, works at a high-end hotel. Um, she meets a charming man at the airport who's played by Killian Murphy and who she should probably have been more cautious about in the beginning since his name is Jackson Ripner. But... She flirts with him, and then he turns out to be sitting next to her on the plane, which is a pleasant surprise, Uh, and she's a little anxious about flying, so he's talking her through it, and then reveals himself to be part of a terrorist group planning an assassination at the very hotel she works at, and with a hitman outside of her dad's, you know, where her dad lives, ready to kill her dad if she doesn't choose to cooperate. Hi, that's actually my seat
1: you're kidding you're not kidding the name's jackson
2: lisa so what do you do
1: as fate would have it my business is all about you i'm not sure where you're going with this jr joe Reisert. your father where did you get that
2: grabbed it off your dad's desk next to your graduation picture The flight attendant and your dad dies.
0: What can I do for you?
2: She's just had a really rough day, a death in the
0: family. The film doesn't entirely take place uh, on the plane, but most of it does. And really, the most interesting part, which is this cat and mouse game between the two of them, in which she keeps trying to signal people that she needs help. But secretly, so that he doesn't notice. But also, you're on an airplane sitting next right. to someone. they are only so someone... many exactly. And it does, and not just in that way, but also in the way that it's, it's very much about a female protagonist. Right. There's a gender element. Yeah. There's a gender element, and I, I think I really like not just that the film starts off with this kind of romantic comedy air to it, that mm. it then turns into right. something like much the sinister thriller but i really like the, i mean it's the the two of them are really good as much as i think that killian murphy is maybe not the most physically imposing guy to like threaten someone to to kind of intimidate someone in that way uh but they they're really good together the two of them and rachel mcadams in particular kind of channels this whole storyline in which her character was assaulted and raped 2 years before and kind of talks about it uh and it has this extra layer of vulnerability in that and the film kind of turns on this moment in which she says she's telling the story to him and he says oh so you learned you know it's not your fault you had no you have no control and she says no what she learned is never you know never would let it happen again Uh, and yes exactly and i think that's there's something really kind of nice about that moment and given how it plays off of her this kind of vulnerability that she she has that she's been trying to get over so it's a it's an unusually smart film it kind of goes into more traditional territory at the ends, but it's got a great pair of lead performances uh, with those two actors and they're kind of nicely unconventional, uh, which is something I really like. So that is Red Eye and it is available from Rent on a lot of the usual suspects. That's
2: a good pick and uh, you had a airplane movie, a means of conveyance, being trapped in one and mine is somewhat similar. A different transportation mode though, not a plane but a boat. A life boat, if you will. Uh, I'm I'm picking the movie Lifeboat, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and it's available to purchase on Amazon and available to rent on iTunes. And Hitchcock, of course, made uh, several claustrophobic thrillers that were set in one location. There's Rope, which was set in an apartment during a dinner party, rear window, another apartment-set movie. Uh, Lifeboat, though, uh, takes place on a lifeboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, it's, the movie is set during World War II. There's a battle at sea between this allied uh, freighter and a German submarine, and both ships sink, and then the sort of few survivors, mostly British and American citizens, plus this one German, must kind of try to work together to survive, to try to find some rescue, try to find some place, you know, that they can, you know, but they're stuck in the middle of the ocean, and... There's, there's definitely a metaphorical component to this movie in that, you know, that German character, that one German character, the Nazi, is kind of undermining and sabotaging the boat. And ultimately the message is that the you know the allies, the British and American characters who come from all these different walks of life, they have to band together uh, to, to defeat him. And, and, and essentially the allies need to band together to win World War II. That's kind of the the subtext of the movie. The first order of business is
1: apartment heads. Uh, Sparks? Yes, Mr. Redmaster. Call me Ritt. We're all in the same boat. Yes, sir. Ritt. Sparks, you're uh, in charge of navigation. I are, sir. Uh George? Call me Joe. Your name, Joe? Yes, sir. Well, Joe so it is. You are head of the commissary. Yes, sir. Connie? Will you keep the ship's log, please? Right-o, right-o, Providing I control the copyright and all publication rights, including the Scandinavian. <laughs> no, Miss McKenzie, uh, you are in charge of sick bay. See, don't look now, but I think we have a skipper. Who elected Mr. Rittenhouse? Mr. Rittenhouse. Rid Ritten to you. Are you think he's capable? No? Sure. Until the sail goes up. We never should have let him stay on board. He'll eat our food, drink our water, and double-cross his first chance he gets. What are you afraid of? He's one against seven. It was eight yesterday, or have you forgotten?
2: The, this was a pretty unusual and unique movie in its day. Now I almost think we could have done a whole lifeboat-themed episode of spotting SVU. I mean, just in the last couple of years, there was Life of Pi. There was All is Lost. So th- it's something that happens more these days, but it was very unique when Hitchcock did it. And... I think one of the dangers of these kinds of movies, which I don't think we've talked about, meaning claustrophobic movies, is that they can feel a little stagey because you are confined to one space. So the challenge there is always to make it feel like a movie and not feel like a play that you just happen to shoot. And the way you do that is you have a great director who knows how to use the camera. And that's – I mean there's very few people who ever knew how to do it better than Alfred Hitchcock. And in Lifeboat, just incredible use of camera, placement of camera, the editing – uh, and also the blocking, which is very important, something you don't talk a lot about, but just the placement of the characters in the frame and how that kind of tells their story and explains their relationships is all very important. And then the thing that makes this one so fun and also things like Life of Pi or All is Lost or anything like that is the fact that it's both claustrophobic and so expansive. You know, like the, 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 you're in the middle of the ocean and, you, you know, there's space as far as the eye can see, but you're trapped on this one little part of it. And it, you just feel so small and hopeless. And, again, being so confined with these seven, eight, nine people that are on this boat, it's just, it's just an extra cruel twist on the formula that works so well. So that is Lifeboat, and you can rent it on iTunes or you can buy it on Amazon.
1: Yeah, me and a
0: couple
2: Excuse me. The police are on their way.
1: She's lying. You're full of st- It's not an intercom. It's a PA system. I know. I'm just scaring her. I suggest you leave before
2: they get here. It was another close race for the Listener's Choice review uh, on our last episode. Devil in a Blue Dress was the third place option. It got 24% of the vote. The original Night of the Living Dead from 1968 got 36% of the vote, but winning out was Panic Room with 39% of the vote. So it was a close one, but Panic Room was the winner. The film stars Jodie Foster as Meg Altman, a recently divorced mother of a young girl named Sarah, who's played by, as we mentioned before, a very young, pre-Twilight, and borderline unrecognizable Kristen Stewart. They buy a new house on the Upper West Side of Manhattan that, Seems too good to be true. There's four floors. It's got an elevator. uh, And in the master bedroom, most importantly, it has what is called a panic room that is virtually impregnable and would keep the owner safe in case of home invasion. And this turns out to be a very useful feature because on the very first night Meg and Sarah staying in the house, it's broken into by three men played by Forrest Whitaker, Jared Leto, and a ski-masked Dwight Yoakam. And they're looking for something that the previous owner left behind. After that, it's a battle of wills and brains as the mother and daughter who can't leave the Panic Room or call for help try to get the bad guys to leave and to uh, survive. Panic Room was directed by David Fincher. It was his 2002 film and his follow-up to his very successful and now very iconic 1999 movie Fight Club And as I think we mentioned on our last episode when we discussed it as a listener's choice option, we both saw Panic Room when it debuted and we enjoyed it well enough. But maybe we were a little underwhelmed, possibly because in the wake of Fight Club, our expectations for it were so high. So my question to you, Allison, is with the benefit of now over a decade of distance and the addition of other Fincher films like Zodiac, Curious Case of Benjamin Button and The Social Network – how do you feel about Panic Room now? Were you right about it in 2002, or did you underrate it, or I don't know, did you overrate it?
0: I feel like I underrated it, actually. Coming back to it now, I i mean, certainly in the very, just the filmmaking, the aspects of the filmmaking, and the way the camera moves around this space, this kind of... Ins- Really, insanely luxurious um, <laughs> Manhattan building—the kind of building that I can't imagine how much it would cost. Yes. Then, how much it would cost now? Yes. But um... as we record
2: this in my tiny uh, <laughs> office with books literally almost st- stacked to the ceilings, because <laughs> it's the no idea space. of the
0: amount of space that they have. Yeah, but the um, the way that the camera and you know this is that Fincher used uh, computer-generated imagery to kind of have these impossible shots, including the. The kind of sing- long take in which the showcase shot, the showcase shot, in- which starts with uh, kind of zooming out from Jodie Foster in bed. They've just moved all the in, way at the top, all the way out, and then kind of fall like goes down through goes the house, through the banister, yeah. down
2: the stairs, and then as- through a keyhole at one point.
0: And then as the the robbers are coming up, right. and they kind of try the door, and then they go around the back, and it tracks them. It's this crazy shot that not uses the real space and these impossible movements, right. right, of doing these things and combines them so fluidly. It is incredibly impressive and I think, you know, that's the showiest shot, but like the ways in which the camera tracks characters through the house, it, you know, there's obviously a lot of surveillance plays a big role in this because uh, when Jodie Foster is in the panic room, she has cameras that show her different parts of the house, which mm-hmm. is how she notices people are there. Right. But that the camera itself also kind of almost has this, it stalks them at certain points, especially when they first move in. That gives this really interesting sense of vulnerability and uncertainty to these characters Mm. in this cavernous space. And uh, that aspect of it, I was really impressed by, and I don't think I had really registered when I first saw it like that. It really is just impressively shot and, you know, I know that Fincher like was so kind of obsessive about this that it caused him some problems in production. Just in terms of, he had first brought on Darius Kanji, his um, you know, a, a cinematographer he'd worked with before. Ended up firing him, bringing in someone else. It was a very meticulous production that faced some difficulties. But it really, I you know, I was really impressed by that aspect of it mm. coming back. How about you?
2: I liked it too, and I liked it. I liked it more than I did in two thousand two as well. I mean, it is. It's just a thriller, but it's, as you said, it's just so well shot, well constructed, and I think well written too. Uh, I think we do have to give some credit to David Kep, the screenwriter, uh, just for being a thriller that's, you know, it's smart. You know, it doesn't cheat too much, you know, and it comes up with lots of clever twists that don't feel out of place or very screenwriterly or, you know, I found this quote from Roger Ebert's review of the film that I thought was really right on the money, so I'm just gonna s I'm just gonna read it. He says, Once we sense Panic Room isn't going to cheat, it gathers intention because the characters are operating out of their own resources, and that makes them the players, not the pawns in this game. Which I is so true. I mean, how often do you see a thriller or a horror movie, a slasher movie, or whatever, where you just go This character is a moron, and they're only doing this because the movie needs them to do it. The script demands them to make this dumb decision, to make this stupid choice that no person in this situation would do. And in Panic Room, it's not that every character is smart. In fact, Jared Leto's character is sort of an idiot. Like, that's part of his character. He's not very bright. But the things he does are totally logical to his character. He never does anything that doesn't make sense. Or he doesn't get instantly smarter you know what I mean? That's almost another trick that they that a thriller might do is suddenly a character who's not too bright suddenly gets a great idea. That doesn't happen. And I think that all the twists and turns are so perfectly structured and, and put together. And the movie is just, it's a really suspenseful ride. And as you said, it's also very stylish. I mean, just what we were talking about with Lifeboat in terms of making a, an Uncinematic subject cinematic. I think that's what you see Fincher doing there is injecting a little bit of visual excitement into this thing that is literally just set in this four-story apartment building or, you know, brownstone. And that could start to look a little flat and a little boring if it didn't have a guy like Fincher who's putting in all of these very fancy shots, which also serve the purpose of laying out the space Explaining exactly where everything is because it's not that easy to understand. It's like, you know, that some things are on the third floor, some things are on the top floor, some things are on the first floor. And that shot that, you know, links everything together really shows you here's where this is, here's where this is, here's how everything connects together. And yeah, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, flashiness, the going into the keyhole and all that sort of thing. But after that shot's over, you really understand where all the characters are in relation to one another, which is very important because this movie is all about those connections and how the space is used and how when they're very close, she can't get out, but maybe when they go down the stairs, she might be able to sneak out to get this thing she needs or that thing she needs. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's up to the level of a fight club or a Zodiac, but it's clearly the work of a very, very good director.
0: Yeah, and it also, it has an interesting dynamic in terms of its main character, you know, that you have... Jodie Foster's character, who is a little hurt by this divorce, she was married to a man who has left her for another woman. She's a little humiliated, and she buys this house in part to kind of because he has to pay for it, right? right? To stick it to him. Stick it to him. So she buys this outrageously like lavish house, right? Uh, that's way too big for them, which is part of the kind of the idea is that yes. like they're it dwarfed by this ty- like huge space, mm-hmm. right? But that also that she is put in a position to kind of have to defend her daughter by herself. Right. And that's, that's part of this. The underlying dynamic is that it's the two of them by themselves. And, and her daughter has uh diabetes as well, which is this something that becomes more pressing ticking as, clock that, yeah, that goes along, mm-hmm. but that, you know, she doesn't really have anyone, To summon, it's just the two of them in the house, and I think that it it, the film does actually a very kind of clever job of what's a somewhat familiar dynamic in action movies and thrillers, which is your family is threatened, you know, how do you act, and to have a very, you know, consciously female slant to that. When I think of things like Taken or like a lot of just you know where um, you have a male lead and his. His family's threatened. The daughter he's going is to go, you know, kidnapped. he's going the to take them kidnapped. back. And yeah. it's kind of about this, like, very, like, manly, like, I'm going to take care of my family. You know, when Jodie Foster's character, when her, um, when she gets separated from Kristen Stewart's character, she's, like, dis- like, destroyed, right? Like, she just can't really think, she's not really thinking through from a strategic standpoint. She just, all she wants to do is get medicine to her daughter. Right. And I feel like the film handled that very dramatically and very well. This is not, you know someone uh like who's inherently a badass just right. waiting to come out. She's a mom. It's not Arnold
2: Schwarzenegger. Yeah.
0: And that like fortunately <laughs> can't be in every movie. Yes. Um you have to settle for Should Jody be. settle for Jody Foster. Um but that it it does a really nice job of having this, you know, upper west side upper east side mom or, you know, Greenwich Greenwich Connecticut mom or whatever she's supposed to be. Um and uh to put her in this incredibly stressful situation and have her show strength in a way that's very believable for her character's background right and i like that a lot
2: and again she doesn't do anything that doesn't seem unbelievable you know it's not like you said it's not like she uh suddenly has displays this mixed martial arts background
0: (laughs) that she's been (laughs) hiding the whole time Right, like Yeah. yeah
2: exactly and takes them all down with judo kicks or whatever or you know even at the end there's a moment where and I don't think this is a spoiler, you know, like, the, you know, they're into the panic room, they're out of the panic room. And there's one point where she's sort of like kind of setting up a trap a little bit for them near the end of the movie. And uh, she's kind of going through the house and like breaking some glass and stuff. And you almost chuckle because there's a, that moment. It almost feels like Home Alone. Yeah. You know, but again, but it never gets into that crazy territory. And uh, it, 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 it just it, it really you admire the fact that that this movie could get so silly you know and there are other exa- there's so many examples of movies like this that do get silly and even like something like you know the movie that Jodie Foster made after this that I think was kind of a, an attempt to sort of like recreate it flight plan which right. was where she's like her daughter is kidnapped on an airplane and then she's running around it's kind of like you know it's a, it's the same claustrophobic premise but it's on an airplane and she has to find her daughter and no one believes her and yada 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 you know that movie is just ridiculous and but this movie is not you know yeah. there is a an an element of it that feels very real, you know, that, and that makes it more terrifying, you know, and that makes it more entertaining too, because like that quote from Ebert says, that just raises the stakes, you know, when you, you feel like the characters are players, not pawns, but also you understand the rules of the game and the game doesn't change. Really. It's not like at one point in the middle, suddenly she's a, a a Kung Fu master or suddenly in the middle, the, the killers, you know, uh, do something incredibly stupid. You know, it's, that it, it's very incremental, A to B, B to C, C to D, and every step of the way you're, you're invested and you're just getting perpetually more invested. And uh, the other thing I, I noticed about it this time is sort of, because it's not a long movie, I think it's like an hour and 40 minutes, and most of it is sort of the showdown between the two sides, how economical the beginning of the movie is in terms of laying out these characters, and laying out the the, the scenario, you know, like, the first scene is them seeing this house, the real estate agent showing it to them, and he's showing them the house, he's also showing us the house, again, laying everything out, but also, he's dropping hints that we don't realize until the movie's over, or, you know, you've seen it a second time, you go back, you realize they're setting up a lot of the stuff that comes into play later in the movie, including my favorite one, which I, if I noticed it, 12 years ago, I didn't remember it, the whole thing about the door of the panic room, which has, like, laser sensors, which is one of the dumb things about the movie. The lasers are visible. There's, like, yeah. visible bright green lasers that essentially, like, supposedly, like, when the plane of the lasers is broken, uh, the you know, it's like an elevator. The panic room door opens back up, so it won't close on something, which has a wonderful, almost really darkly hilarious payoff later in the movie.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it is. It's definitely a very it's a setup that's so nicely done it's so nicely handled all that exposition which is delivered in the form that the characters would actually need Mm -hmm. uh it is very cleverly done um what did you think of jared leto in this he's uh he's got kind of he's got the braids amazing hair yes yes um and he's uh, just a total jerk
2: he is he is he's very good though in the movie i mean it's kind of funny because i watched this last night with my wife who's you know huge my so-called life fan and i'm like it's jordan catalano and she's like oh look at how terrible he looks <laughs> but it was funny because he's kind of a dopey in the movie which i was like oh he's still playing maybe this is where jordan catalano wound <laughs> up because you know, that's sort of like the, the you know, he, he's good at playing those kind of dim characters. But uh, the guy that I really thought was great was Dwight Yoakam, yeah. actually, who was he was my favorite this time. I think Jodie Raul. Foster as Raoul. Yeah. Jodie Foster, I think, is fantastic. And she has a couple of fantastic scenes, including one where she has to talk to the cops, which is absolutely incredible. But really, the one that really surprised me was Dwight Yoakam. I forgot he was totally in it. And he plays most of the movie in a ski mask. So if you don't remember, he's in it and you're not paying too much attention to the opening credits. You forget who he is, and you're, the whole movie you're going, who is this guy? And then at the end, you realize it's Dwight Yoakam. And I just thought he was so menacing and terrifying, and it's freaking Dwight Yoakam. But he has this air of kind of ruthlessness that you know, a lot of these kind of movies have. You know that that character who's the more violent, the more vicious one, and and they the were, one who, who gets everyone into trouble in the end. Yes, yeah. Who's too violent? Who's too psychopathic? You know. That doesn't want to stick to the plan, and that character can verge into kind of craziness and kind of silliness again. And he he doesn't get there. He just is. He's terrifying without seeming like a sneering, you know, snidely whiplash villain.
0: Yeah, and I think it also there the the film does something interesting in not being your classic or not setting up a very easy divide between haves and haves not have nots in this. You know, in a lot of ways, the setup would seem to imply rich people and like getting barricading themselves in this, you know, luxury building and then the these people trying to break in. The ninety nine percent coming to repair events. It's it's much more complicated than that. In particular, like who Jared Leto's character turns out to be. But Mm -hmm. there is still a bit of this You know, um, one character trying to kind of excuse himself to be like, you know, for my child, I wanted this for my child. Right. Um, And yet, of course, the whole argument the movie makes is that you're not really doing your child any favors (laughs) by putting them in this kind of like high target building. Right. Um, But I kind of I liked that. The movie kind of lets all of this stuff bleed in, but doesn't doesn't have make it doesn't i need to spell it out too much you know that it's uh it's kind of these are elements there but in the same way that Kristen stewart's um diabetes is included in there it's not in the very beginning you know uh jodie jodie foster does not say you know be careful about your diabetes right <laughs> like it's it's allowed it's to a kind shot
2: of, in of a refrigerator with where insulin, we, with insulin yeah. in it right exactly yeah, yeah.
0: that it, it does the movie does actually trust you yeah uh, for, like, a kind of commercial thriller right. that puts trust in the audience in a way that's really nice.
2: Yeah, and that, that what you mentioned about the, you know, the, the, the par- parental aspect of one of the, uh, you know, the, one of the, br- the burglars has a sort of a child that's a motivation, you know, wanting to care for this child. So you have that dynamic between two parents, I think, which is also very interesting that, like, w- the lengths someone will go to for good or for bad to pr- provide for their child, to protect their child, I think, is definitely a big part of the movie and but you know not not harped on too strongly but you can certainly see it in there. Yeah. And it's just another thing that just makes it a little bit a little bit more satisfying.
0: Yeah. It's it's definitely like a very which is why I think one of the reasons that why when I first saw it it didn't resonate with me as much is that it does it's a very um it's a mainstream thriller. Yeah. But it's just so well made. It's very well made. And there's something to that that's, that you can appreciate. Right. Before we uh cut this off. Yeah. The original casting was Nicole, Nicole Kidman, right? And Hayden Panettiere as the child. Really? Yes. Oh, they
2: recast the child, too. Uh-huh. I did that. She I didn't know. She dropped out,
0: and then Kristen Stewart brought in. Yeah. Oh, what wow. would you think? Wouldn't that seem to be like a totally different dynamic and movie?
2: Wow. I didn't know about the Hayden Panettiere part. That's so funny, because I was thinking, you know, Kristen Stewart is such a great, you know, she really does look in this movie like she's Jodie Foster's daughter. And I was wondering, because I did know that Nicole Kidman, she was hired. I think she hurt, like, she was injured. Her knee, yeah. And so she couldn't. It's a very physical part. She couldn't do it. So they replaced her with Jodie Foster at the last minute. And I was wondering, like, was Kristen Stewart supposed to be Nicole Kidman's daughter? That doesn't really... So that makes that does make a little sense. I'm trying to envision it. I mean, I don't know. Has Nicole Kidman ever done a thriller like this? I don't know. But it does
0: seem like, in I, some I ways, interested a, more, to see- a more traditional kind of casting of this wealthy... Divorce. You know what I mean? Yeah, in she maybe ways, fits
2: the type of the character a little better than a Jodie little Foster better, does. But it
0: seems like it would also—I yeah. just can't imagine her kind of being as tough
2: as Jodie Foster ends up being in this. Right? It would have been—I—I yeah. I, I would be—I'm not opposed to it though. I'd be interesting to see. It's yeah. like a—you know—one of those—you know—eternal what ifs. Like, what if this movie had been with Nicole Kidman? Would it have been different? Would it have been better? Would it have been worse? We—we will we never know. But it, it's interesting to think about. I don't know. I can could see her and it, it would maybe? seem like a
0: very different movie though oh I think, for sure in a way yeah apparently that's her voice on the phone uh when the she answers the phone yes, she's the she's the the, 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 the mistress new girlfriend. the new girlfriend yeah. or whatever
2: interesting that's funny <laughs> i didn't i did not notice that either yeah all right so that's panic room it's streaming now. Holds up, it holds for up. a few
0: a few weird nineties ref- references. Poe, I think that was the big one.
2: Yeah, I, some of the CGI also. I mean, Titanic. It, it, there's a Titanic joke. But some of the CGI in that fancy, smancy shot does not look as good as like, and as seamless as like the stuff in like Zodiac, for right. example, where it's become almost photoreal. I mean, there's a couple of moments in there that do look kind of kind of CG, yeah. CG, yeah, but, but still it, a good movie, still pretty and impressive, and definitely better than better than we remembered. So that's Panic Room, and it is streaming on Netflix.
0: Well, that brings us to our Behind the 8 Ball section, in which we offer you three films or TV shows that are new to streaming, two listener recommendations, and one from our Netflix My Lists. Matt, you're going first. Are you ready?
2: Yes. All right. Three new picks. Okay. First up is the directorial debut of Andrew Nichol, Gattaca, a very prescient science fiction film about a future where... People's lives are determined entirely by their genetics. If your genes say that you should live to be 100, you're made in the shade. You're going to have a great job and a great life. If they say you have a high risk of heart attack, you're in, you're in big trouble. Ethan Hawk stars as this guy who's like one of the last naturally conceived people on Earth, and he concocts this very elaborate scheme to assume the identity of a genetically superior man, played by definitely the most genetically superior man on Earth, Jude Law, although probably his... Probably these, uh g- genetics would have said something about that receding hairline, I think. I don't know. Maybe this movie wasn't as good as I thought. But anyway, from there, actually, it becomes kind of a cat and mouse thriller. There's a murder. Hawk's character is innocent, but he might get exposed, uh, you know, his little uh, scheme as a result. So he's trying to stay ahead of the police as they're investigating. And that's it's an interesting thriller. But, you know, there's still plenty of ideas in it, which are really interesting to kind of think about this idea of identity what makes us a person you know do our genes really you know nature versus nurture do our genes really make us who are who we are the movie was uh, not a huge hit but it's definitely become more of a cult film i'd actually never seen it i just watched it for the first time this week i i liked it i thought it was a very interesting movie and i think it's only going to get more timely and more popular anytime there's a news story about designer babies uh we get a little bit closer to gattaca so that's gattaca streaming on netflix Uh, My next pick is available for rent on iTunes and Amazon, one of my favorite movies from last year, Inside Lewin Davis from the Coen Brothers. Uh, It was sold as sort of a look at the 1960s folk rock scene in in Greenwich Village, uh, New York City, but that's really just the setting for this character study about this one particular folk singer, Lewin Davis, played by Oscar Isaac, who really deserved an Oscar nomination last year. It was very upset as much as I ever get upset about the Oscars that he didn't get it. Uh, he's lost his partner in this folk duo and he's now trying to make it as a solo artist with very little success. Uh, I saw this movie twice. I loved it. I had amazing you know, discussions and conversations about it. Uh, it's about a lot of things but uh, one of the ones that resonated really strongly with me is just the idea that it's made by Joel and Ethan Cohen, these brothers, these partners. They do everything together. They write, direct, produce. They edit everything together and so to me the movie was almost this like what if one of them had died. Like, what would the other's career have looked like? And kind of like a nightmare scenario of that. And, and so many other things. But that was just one thing that I found in there. So that's Inside and Davis. If you haven't seen it yet, strongly recommended. It's available on iTunes and Amazon. And finally, my last recommendation is I'm going to recommend actually a new streaming site that I don't think we've mentioned yet on the show. But if we have, what the heck? I've already, I'm, I'm going to do it again. It's called Watch TCM, it's uh, from Turner Classic Movies. This is their new app and streaming site at TCM.com where you can get the app on your phone or your tablet. And basically, you can watch what's actually playing live at that moment on the network if you're a subscriber to TCM. If you have cable and you get TCM, uh, most, I think, cable providers are uh, participate in this. So you can watch what's on the network or a lot of the movies that are, have just played recently on the network are available to watch on demand. So it's hard to, like, recommend specific titles for us because they're really only up there for about a week or so before they vanish. And, you know, by the time you listen to this, they may already be gone. But just looking at the selection right now, as we're recording this on March 23rd, some of the titles that are on there include The Adventures of Robin Hood, The Gold Rush, The Mouse That Roared, Ride the High Country, and Swing Time, and and quite a few more. So if you have cable and you have TCM on your cable— Strongly recommend you take advantage of this service that they're offering. It's I've been using it a lot lately. So let's watch TCM, and the website is tcm dot com, and then you just click on the Watch TCM thing, or you can get it on your tablet or your phone, the app for it.
0: All right, two listener recommendations. All right,
2: both of my recommendations come from uh, international listeners, which is fabulous. I, I know that the, you know the world of streaming. We're generally talking about American services. Not all of these are available around the world, so I appreciate that people are listening and and giving us some. International recommendations, and I'm trying to I try to sort of where applicable, see what what's available here. You know, that so I try to find some things that you can watch if you are in the U.S. But our first recommendation is from Jeff uh, in Oxford, U.K. He wants to recommend the work of Lake Bell, who is fantastic. He says a wonderkin, the U.S. equivalent of talented Canadian filmmaker Sarah Polly. Uh, I first caught up with Belle in the television show Surface, a cheesy but fun sci-fi series, and knew there was something special about her right then, and intelligence better than the role that was written for her. In a world which I think I remember you guys recommended recently really shows how smart and multi-talented she really is. Hopefully this is just the beginning of her career. So Surface, the TV show, if you want to check that out, is available on Amazon Instant Video or uh, Jeff says Love Film in the U.K. I think that's actually I think that might be Amazon. That is Amazon. Surface in the U.K. is called Love Film. So that's that's available there. And in a world is currently available to rent or buy on a variety of services. My next recommendation comes from I think it's uh, Kyan, K-Y-A-N in New Zealand, New Zealand uh, listener says, my recommendation this week is a completely different type of streaming service that I think you guys haven't talked about. As you may know, New Zealand has a publicly funded TV and film, which is responsible for just about all of our local product. Socialist overlords sometimes have their plus sides. (laughs) Because of this, much of our publicly funded programs, especially older ones, are available for streaming on the site NZ on screen. I only discovered this a few days ago when researching a project and I came across a whole treasure trove of old short films, TV programs, and features from New Zealand that are pretty much impossible to find anywhere else. And he recommends several things, including this TV film by Peter Wells called A Death in the Family from 1986, the story of the gay community in New Zealand caring for one of their friends who was one of the first New Zealanders to die on screen. And uh, Kyan notes – and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name – that NZ On Screen is actually available everywhere around the world. It's uh, free to view without ads, and and so I actually checked it, and it is. I was was able to find the link that he sent us, and... It's nzonscreen.com, so you could browse it and check the whole thing out. So that's a great recommendation. Thank yeah. you. All the way from New Zealand. Very I love cool. It. I wish we'd known about that when we did the New Zealand episode. Yes, <laughs> we did a whole episode that might have benefited from that, yeah, but yeah. it's never too late to learn. Yeah. All right. Well, one from your My List. You gave me number 33, which this time is Vernon, Florida, the second film from documentarian Errol Morris, that is his follow-up to Gates of Heaven. It is about the strange residents of a town in Florida named mm-hmm. Vernon. And uh, I've never seen it, even though I'm a big Errol Morris fan. You know, Thin Blue Line, Gates of Heaven, Mr. Death, Tablet. I'm looking forward to his new movie. I think comes out next month, The Unknown Known, about uh, Donald Rumsfeld. Yes. Uh, I haven't seen Vernon Florida, so it's on my my list, and uh, hopefully at some point I will get around to it. Allison, are you ready for your uh, countdown? No. Okay, yes. Okay, why don't you start with three new titles?
0: Alright, first up is Mud, which is new to Netflix and to Amazon Prime so you can watch it on either site. If we are in the depths of the McConaughey now, uh, this now Oscar winner Matthew McConaughey is one of the stars of this movie, which is written and directed by Jeff Nichols of the great film Take Shelter. And I think we've mentioned this film before when it is, was available on demand. Uh, it's I think a really good one that's Uh, A little underrated, um, but it's about a pair of 14-year-old boys, one of which is the main character, who are in um, Arkansas and living in this, on a riverboat, one of them, in a way of life that is kind of going away. And it's both... A film about that it's a coming of age film and it's one in which they find the title character whose name is mud played by matthew mcconaughey out in a island and he turns out to be running away from things and to have a kind of a romantic story that the boys are lured in by but that turns out to be a little more complicated than how he tells it really a uh, really nice film and a really strong uh performance from the uh, two kids who are the lead actors it's a uh, Really nice. That's Mud. It'll be on Netflix and Amazon. New to Hulu, Frankenhooker the 1990 film directed by Frank Henlotter starring James Lawrence as a med school student uh, or med school dropout and aspiring you know, mad scientist type who tries to bring his fiancee played by Patty Mullen back after a freak lawnmower accident You know, they happen. He collects body parts from the local red light district however when he puts her back together it's not quite the same she seems to have picked up a predilection for street walking and is a little dangerous to the john she picks up Um, It's a powerful true story. Don't diminish it. Bill Murray said of this film, if you see one movie this year, it should be Frankenhooker. And certainly with a title like Frankenhooker, how can you really pass it up? That's on Hulu. And now new to Netflix is 20 Feet from Stardom. This is the winner of this year's Oscar for Best Documentary. The film is directed by Morgan Neville and focuses on backup singers, um, including Darlene Love, Judith Hill, Mary Clayton, um, and is all about... These women who are the voices who've contributed to some of these great tracks, um, including some great rock and roll tracks. And it's, you know, uh, actually all of the Oscar nominated docs are available on Netflix now. The Square, Dirty Wars, Cutie and the Boxer and The Act of Killing are all up there. 20 Feet from Stardom is definitely the big crowd pleaser of the group and maybe the most you know, traditional of the docs. And it was a really good year for docs. But um, that's not necessarily a slight, and uh, it ended up not just winning the Oscar, but giving an opportunity for Darlene Love to sing when she accepted it, and that was pretty great. So that is available now on Netflix.
2: Okay, how about two listener recommendations?
0: All right. First recommendation is from Christopher, who sent a lot of great recommendations to us, including some for some Romero films. Uh, Unfortunately, Night of the Living Dead did not win, so Mm. they... Didn't quite apply, but he does recommend Blow Up, uh, which is available for rent on Google Play, YouTube, and Vudu. He says that Michelangelo Antonioni's examination of disconnection in swinging 60s London is a good introduction to his work. David Hemmings plays the unnamed central character, who is a photographer who comes to believe that he has inadvertently photographed a murder. Again, the film here deals largely with a sense of identity and of the very nature of reality, and especially the need for connection with others that allows us to share a sense of reality. But the disconnection between characters here questions any sense of reality that we might have. And blow up. Certainly a great film. Uh, the other recommendation is, I have is from Gil, who writes, uh, I recently watched Deceptive Practice, The Mysteries and Mentors of Ricky Jay on Netflix. For those who haven't heard of him, Ricky Jay is a master illusionist who is not only highly skilled in magic and sleight of hand, but who also holds several records for his ability to throw playing cards great distances with such force that he can pierce the skin of a watermelon. Besides being a talented magician, Jay is also an actor who has appeared in numerous films and television shows, including movies by Pete. T. Anderson and David Mamet. On top of all this, Jay has extensive knowledge of con artistry and flimflam, which means that his personal life has always been somewhat shrouded in mystery until now. Deceptive Practice looks at Jay's life from his childhood love of magic and his training by some of the great vaudeville illusionists to the present day where he tours his magic shows, works in the movies, and is taught an apprentice of his own. If you have any interest in the world of cons and cards, then this movie is a must. As someone who loves magic and has always been intrigued by the mysterious character that is Ricky Jay, this movie is insightful and a great watch. Um, And that is a movie that I have added to my my list
2: because, you know... Throwing card skill alone, it's, you love Gambit. You love any person that can become a real life from the X Men. Exactly, cards. You didn't, you, The look you gave me said, "I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about." I forgot you were not a comic book nerd for a second. I'm sorry. He throws cards. <laughs> I know. I've seen that. I've seen that movie, and it is it's very interesting and very entertaining. If you're a fan of magic, if you're a fan of Ricky Jay, totally worth checking out. How about one film chosen blindly by random from your? my
0: list. You gave me number 71, which is Kevin. This is a 2011 doc directed by Jay Duplass of the Duplass Brothers. Um, here's a description. This documentary explores the mysterious disappearance of singer-songwriter Kevin Gant, a key member of Austin's cultural scene in the early 1990s. Um, it sounds a little kind of a small film and kind of a little specific to the Austin scene, but I'm always interested in what the Duplass brothers are up to. I've, se- I've seen it
2: actually. Uh, it's a yeah. It's a, I think it's like only like 45 minutes or maybe even shorter than yeah. that. It's like a short. It's it's not quite a feature, but it's a it's an interesting documentary. I actually did a Q and A for it at at a small film festival in New York with uh, J. Duplass over Skype. I think he couldn't make it into town.
0: He's a busy guy. Both of those guys are very busy these yes. days. <laughs> but
2: yeah, it's a it's a nice little film. It's worth checking out.
0: Well, it's on my my list, though it's kind of far down there.
2: All right. It's time to get to our new batch of listener's choice options, and we are so excited about the new film from Jim Jarmusch called Only Lovers Left Alive. I think it's about vampires. I think Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston are in it as yes. vampires.
0: As really cool-looking vampires. Oh, my Rock star kind of... New York, uh, urban-looking vampires. The
2: film premiered at Cannes last year, I believe. It got great reviews. I've heard nothing but great things about it. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And we thought, since uh, you know, we're going to be looking forward to that and talking about Jim Jarmusch, and he's got a lot of movies available on streaming. Let's do a uh, a Jim Jarmusch movie on our next episode. We've got three Jarmuschy options. Uh, Allison, I think you have the first one. What is it? Yes, it is Permanent Vacation.
0: This is, it's available on Hulu Plus. It's a 1980 film, which is his first film after he dropped out of film school. And, uh, not easy to find a telling description of it. It stars Chris Parker as a character who, from all accounts, wanders around New York meeting interesting people. So interesting, quirky characters, so basically setting a template for a lot of what yeah. Jim Jarmusch would go
2: on to do. And I think that would be interesting because I haven't seen that one and it does yes. sound like a lot of his movies. So I think it is always interesting for, yeah. you know, see to go how back, someone
0: starts. see how they Absolutely. start, especially if
2: that first film is kind of indicative as it sometimes is of like the, the, the path they're going to take in their career.
0: Yeah. And also it, always interesting to see like kind of gritty 1980s New York, early yes. 1980s. It's a very different time mm-hmm. in, in the city than, than present day. Yep. So that's Permanent Vacation. That's the first one. What's okay. The second?
2: Our second one is also available on Hulu Plus. I think the Criterion Collection has quite a few Jarmusch films, and, and that's what's uh, mostly streaming online. And uh, it's called Down by Law. One of his – I don't know about financially successful. It's certainly one of his most famous movies and, and really one of his breakthrough films from earlier in his career. I'll read the plot description here from Criterion. Uh, it says director Jim Jarmish followed his brilliant breakout film, Stranger Than Paradise, with another equally beloved portrait of loners and misfits in the American landscape. When fate brings together three hapless men, an unemployed disc jockey, Tom Waits, a small-time pimp, John Lurie, and a strong-willed Italian tourist, Roberto Benigni, in a Louisiana prison, a singular adventure ensues which was described by Jim Jarmusch as a neo-beat noir comedy. It's in black and white. I have seen that one, and it's a great film, and uh, would not mind one bit revisiting it and talking about it, because it's been a while. I-, I saw it in grad school. I have, I don't, maybe I've seen it once since then, but it's been quite a few years, and, uh, and uh, would definitely love to uh, talk about that one. And, and, and you know what? Roberto Benini's pretty damn good in that movie, too, so mm. that would be fun to talk about as well.
0: All right, and our third pick is available on Netflix. It is Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, Jeremy Show's 1999 film starring Forrest Whitaker.
2: Panic Rooms of Forrest Whitaker. Yes, Panic
0: Rooms For Forest Whitaker.
2: Could be a trend on the show, potentially.
0: <laughs> um, he plays a kind of eccentric mafia hitman who follows the code of the samurai, and it's a film that some people have compared to Le Samurai, but mm-hmm. also it definitely uh undermines some of the basic ideas about like what mafia uh, the mafia is like in movies and about what hitmen are like um and you know has a very strong Force Whitaker performance and this is a movie I haven't seen I think since it basically was had come out and I remember being very amused by it when mm-hmm. it first came out so I'd be interested to take another look at it since it's definitely got a cult following oh for sure now
2: and uh and Probably I, I, one of his most seen films yeah, absolutely. at this point. And I actually have never seen it. Somehow, oh, I'm kind of surprised. It's one of those movies that I, I don't, can't even explain how I've somehow missed it all these years because it is a cult film and I like Jarmusch. And yeah.
0: And this was and one, of his, bigger, yeah, was his one biggest, of his bigger Yeah, it was one of his bigger movies.
2: Yeah. All right. So, which Jim Jarmusch film should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? Send your pick to SVU at FilmSpottingSVU.com. Or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, March 31st at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. And you'll have all that week to watch the film. And then join us for our conversation on our next episode on or around Tuesday, April 8th.
0: filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU Remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review that you pick. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Alison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you, the SVU listeners. For film spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore, and I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening.
2: Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>